Hello and welcome back to the Worthy to See podcast. I'm Chip Stewart. It's Friday, January 26, 2024. And um, I, I've noticed that I've kind of picked up the pace uh, with recording these episodes as of late. I don't know how sustainable that is. <laughs> I don't know how long I'll be able to keep it up. Um, but I, I do have um, a sense of urgency to communicate um, these things to you um, from Scripture. Uh, I feel like the time is short and it is important that we as the body of Christ understand these things that I, um, I teach and I share. Um, and, and it goes back to my motivation of why I do this. It's because I, I want all of us, all of us in the body of Christ to run the race that the Lord has set before us well to give us the tools to do so, to lay aside every encumbrance, those things that hinder us from being able to serve our Lord and Master. Uh, that way, when we, we see Him, when we do see Him, uh, He will say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Master. I feel that, by and large, most of the body of Christ has been caught in snares um, and, and I'm trying to free us from those, free us from error, um, free us from the omission, um, you know, the things that we're not being taught, um, things like that, and be very basic about what our Lord is telling us about obedience, because he has, he has said very plainly that we demonstrate our love for him through our obedience. It's those who, who are obedient, who love him. And obedience right now is more important than I believe it ever has been. I, I, I feel like we will be challenged um, as Christians in our faith um, very soon. Uh, and, and we need to know how to respond, how the Lord wants us to respond more importantly. That's really what I should be saying is how does the Lord want us to respond? How does the Lord want us to live in challenging times? And that's why I feel like we, we need to cover these topics and in this episode, I'm going to, uh, this is the, I'm going to, I'm going to go back to the Sermon on the Mount. So this will be the fourth installment on the Sermon on the Mount. There'll be many more. I'm going basically point by point, subject by subject through it. I, I, I feel the Spirit has led me to do this because it is of quintessential importance in the Bible. I feel like so much has, it's like the Old Testament and its its morality and, and God's standards for us have fl flowed into Jesus and him delivering this sermon. And then it all flows out from there to the apostles and their, you know, the epistles that we have in the New Testament, because you can find it, find what is spoken of here in the Old Testament and then, then taken forward from Christ. Uh, in the New Testament, and, and there, there is just foundational truth here for how we live. But before I, I get into it, I want to share kind of a funny, uh, a funny happening this week. I was having lunch with a friend, and um, he, he was telling me, I'm going to paraphrase here, I, I'm not good at remembering exact quotes, but something along the lines that, you know, I, Chip, I, I didn't know how to tell you this, um, but I had to stop listening to the episode you did about Loyola and the spiritual exercises after 15 minutes and, and just go back and listen to my music. But I, I you know, I, I didn't know how to tell you. I didn't want to offend you. I, you know, I didn't, <laughs> I, 
I didn't, you know, I didn't want you to take it the wrong way. And, and when I heard that, I actually, I actually laughed and I was, I was overjoyed. And, and cause I think I knew, I thought I knew the reason I asked him for a clarification, like why, why did you stop listening? And he said, it's, it's because, you know, he doesn't like listening to how people commit evil acts or how people do evil. And, and I was just overjoyed at that point because you know, I, I, it meant that I got the point across. I achieved my aim. I achieved my objective with the episode when he figured out, figured it out after 15 minutes that this was truly evil stuff and stop listening. That's the bottom line is I want to get you to get to the point where the spiritual exercises are, is, is indoctrination, brainwashing, and someone else compared it to uh, trauma-based mind control. So, um, yeah, I, I was overjoyed. I laughed and I thanked him. I thanked him profusely. I'm like, that's fantastic. Um, no, no need to be offended at all. Um, I, I do, I tend to, sometimes I'll, well, maybe most of the time, I don't know, you be, you be the judge, but I tend to be very thorough, um, to make sure that I have serviced the target in military terms, um, effectively. Uh, I want to make sure it's very clear that what we're looking at, the spiritual exercises was, um, was demonic. Um, so I just want to share that, that little, uh, encounter with you. I thought just, I was, I was, uh. I was overjoyed to hear that. All right, so let's hop uh, back into the Beatitudes. I, I will read uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, and then we will go into, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So that is the, the topic uh, for this episode. Seeing the crowds, he, meaning Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. When others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So back to verse 6, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. So the first question that popped in my mind was, okay, hunger and thirst for righteousness rather than what else? Because if, if he's saying this, clearly people are hunger, hungering and thirsting for other things besides righteousness. And when you think of hunger and thirst, you're thinking of our basic desires, hungering and thirsting. I mean, those are two things that we have, you know, we have to eat and we have to drink to stay alive. And this expression here, uh, when, when I'm, when I'm contemplating it, it's expressing what we crave, what we need. Um, those things that we believe we can't live without. That's kind of the, the implication I get here when you know hungering and thirsting for righteousness. We're saying it, we crave it. We can't live without it. We, that's, that's our number one desire. So this is, this is talking to priorities in our lives. What do we put first? What do we seek above all else? What is most important to us? That is what our Lord is indicating here. So what do you hunger and thirst for? Is it righteousness or is it maybe the upcoming football season? Or is it binge watching your favorite program? Shopping, eating, worldly things, power, 
notoriety, money. So God, in his infinite wisdom, tells us to hunger and thirst for something else entirely, and that is righteousness. So what is righteousness? That's the next question that came to mind. Well, when you consult Webster's 1828 dictionary, it defines righteousness as follows. Purity of heart and rectitude of life, conformity of heart and life to the divine law. Righteousness as used in scripture and theology, in which it is chiefly used, is nearly equivalent to holiness. Comprehending holy principles and affections of of heart and conformity of life to the divine law. It includes all we call justice, honesty, and virtue with holy affections. In short, it is true religion. So righteousness, and I underscore that it is the divine law was mentioned twice here. It's about obedience, obedience to Christ and what his standards are, what his commandments are. Then the next question I had was, who is our righteousness? You know, so first it's, what is, what is righteousness? Who is our righteousness? And I contend it's Jesus Christ. When you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 26 and ending in 31, it, it tells that he became to us righteousness. So um, it reads as follows, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. So Jesus Christ is our righteousness, and we, are, we hunger and thirst for him, for him and his righteousness. In his epistles, uh, in, in Romans in particular, Paul warns us not to present our members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but rather to God in, in seeking his kingdom as instruments of righteousness. And this is, goes back to hunger and thirst for righteousness. So in Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 12, this is where he, he begins to talk about this. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. And then Paul continues um, by telling us not to sin and to be slaves to righteousness. So this is uh, also in chapter 6, but this is continuing in, uh, 15, continuing in verse 15 all the way to 23. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either to sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. And there's the obedience to Christ and his commandments and righteousness tied together. 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And 
having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and a lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin, have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul is telling us to be slaves to righteousness. We should be hungering and thirsting for that righteousness and not sinning. So when I saw the words hunger and thirst, I thought um, of Jesus as being the bread of life. Because if he's our righteousness, we're hungering and thirsting for him. He calls himself the bread of life. And he gives, gives us living water. So we hunger for the bread of life and thirst for living water that he provides. We th- hunger and thirst for him. And I... In, in the first passage I'm going to use, I, 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 I laugh when I found it. Um, and, I, and you might figure out why, because of how it's related. Um, so Paul tells us in, in Romans that the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. So Romans chapter 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Here, here's Paul linking these things together. Eating, drinking, hungering, thirsting, if you will, righteousness. Now, it, it, when you take it in context of a larger passage, it may be, um, you know, it, it, it may be a little out of context, perhaps, uh, because it talks that whole passage talks about not passing judgment on one another for what fellow believers eat or drink. But I think it does kind of fit um, as we should be concerned about hungering and thirsting for righteousness and not be caught up in simple things that the Lord will provide for us anyway and are not important. The, the pursuit of righteousness is what is important. So it's not about eating and drinking, but righteousness. You know, eating and drinking just you know the normal food and water. It's about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. But I, I just, I, I loved how I read that. I'm like, here it is, eating and drinking righteousness right there from Paul. Um, here's the passage where, where, where Jesus tells us that he is the bread of life. Uh, you can turn to John chapter 6, starting in verse 22. This is after he feeds the 5,000 and walked on water. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? 
What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone who has seen the Father except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that the... Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. This is a very interesting text, uh, talking about feeding on his flesh and drinking his blood. This is not literal, clearly. I mean, it's not available for us to do. It, it's, it's symbolism that we're feeding on him, and he is life itself. It, he, and he gives eternal life and feeding on him. That's feeding on his righteousness, hungering and thirsting for his righteousness, feeding on him every day. If you look at, at some of these, um, the text earlier on, it it's a present tense. If anyone eats of this bread, you know, and, and it's almost like it, it sounds to me almost continual. It's somebody who is continually eating on their save, eating on their savior in, in, a, in an ana- analogous sort of way just feeding on what he says, feeding on his righteousness, trusting in the Lord for everything, hungering and thirsting thirsting for our Lord's righteousness. He is the bread of life. He is the true food that brings us eternal life.
And then we have him giving us living water. If you turn to John chapter 4, starting in verse 1, this is about the woman at the well in Samaria. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it, who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and, and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So there he tells us that he will give us water of life, living water. And it will become a spring of water in us, welling up into that eternal life. And we will never be thirsty again. So we should be thirsting for that living water. In John chapter 7, starting in verse 37, it talks about rivers of living water. Once again, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So that the the rivers of living water that flow out of us are from the Holy Spirit that is indwelt within us, that Jesus gives us when, when we are saved when we are um, saved um, by grace through faith. Um, so yeah, here we have the, the living water. So this, this is what we should be thirsting for. And then we also have the institution of the Lord's Supper as, um, as Jesus Christ himself 
establishes. And it talks about um, his flesh, eating his flesh and drinking his blood, which is um, not only the symbol of the establishment of his new covenant with us, it also seems to imply hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Back to what he was saying about being the bread of life, uh, eating his flesh, drinking his blood. Um, so here, you know, feasting on the body and, and blood of Christ. So Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse uh, 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave, gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So not only is this a reminder of the covenant that Christ has made with us in his blood, it should remind us, too, that we should be hungering and thirsting for him. We are coming to feast on him and his righteousness. In Peter, First uh, Peter, it indicates uh, within, within this epistle that Christ's death on the cross was done for the purpose of us living to righteousness. So that was one of the reasons why we were saved, is to be able to live to righteousness. Starting in uh, chapter 2, starting in verse 24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls, hunger and thirst for him. Through the practice of righteousness, the scriptures tell us that we should know that we are born of God. This is, in effect, an assurance of our salvation, and this is revealed to us in uh, 1 John. In chapter 2, starting verse 20, it says, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And if you're born of him, you have eternal life. And, and dear brothers and sisters, let me read this first part again. And now little children abide in him. It's important that we abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence so if we are hungering and thirsting for righteousness and obeying him, we will have confidence. But the other option is not doing that. So it says, he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. I don't want any of us to shrink from him in shame. That's why I keep doing this podcast so we can be obedient, so we can be hungering and thirsting for his righteousness. That, that should be our primary goal in life. That is our first priority, is hungering and thirsting for his righteousness. Um, 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 7, Little children, let no one deceive you, deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. 
So who are the enemies of all righteousness? Well, it's kind of stated in this last one. Um, they're of the devil. So it's Satan and his sons, Satan and his minions. Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 4, um, talks about uh, Alemus, the magician. I probably didn't say that right. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there, they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was the proconsul. He was sorry. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and, and sought to hear the word of God. But Elemas the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, "You son of the devil." You enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So there are active Uh, enemies of righteousness, and that is the devil and all his minions, whoever, whoever, wherever they are, enemies of all righteousness, and they will oppose the righteousness of Christ. So when you go back up and you uh, you go back to verse 6 from Matthew chapter 5, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So I've been focused on that. At the end, it says, for they shall be satisfied, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. We will be satisfied. Well, what, what does that mean? Well, I think in addition to the receipt of eternal life, I think that is um, part of being satisfied. You know, if we're, we're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, we're going to be receiving eternal life. Um, I think our Lord also answers that question later on in the Sermon on the Mount, which we'll talk about in more depth when we get to it as, as we continue through the, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's in the, in the portion where he commands us not to be anxious about anything, such as, you know, what we should wear, what we should eat. So Matthew chapter 6, verses 32 and 33. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, such as what to eat, what to wear. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Let me let me read that again. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. I believe he is he is emphasizing this again from the Beatitudes and, and talking about it in an operative sort of way. And what's very interesting is, even before food and clothing, we are commanded to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He tells us specifically not to worry about what we're going to eat, what we're going to wear. He wants us to focus on his kingdom and his righteousness, hunger and thirst for his righteousness. 
And if we do these things, when we do these things, all these things will be added to us. We will be satisfied. I also believe that Paul touches on this in his letter to Philippians, um, where he says he can be basically satisfied in all situations because he relies on Jesus. And, and in his life, you can see he is hungry and thirsting for righteousness. He, he is constantly following after Christ. So Philippians chapter 4, starting verse 11 Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, hunger, abundance, and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He knows whom he relies on. He knows where his strength comes from. It comes from the Lord. It is very clear that Paul seeks Christ and his righteousness first in all things, and therefore he can be satisfied in all situations. And brothers and sisters, this is very important for us right now. We need to know, we need to know how to be content in any situation because our lives can be turned upside down. We need to be, if we're, if we're pursuing righteousness, we'll be pursuing that in whatever situation we find ourselves looking to the Lord for our help and looking to the Lord for our guidance of how we can be righteous. So with all these, all these things being said about hungering and thirsting for righteousness and being, being satisfied, um, I wanted to go to Ephesians chapter 6 where it talks about putting on the whole armor of God because one of the implements, one of the pieces of the armor is the breastplate of righteousness. So finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Again, he is the enemy of all righteousness. He is the enemy of Christ. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. If you haven't figured it out yet, brothers and sisters, we're, we're at war. We're in a spiritual war. It is, I am astounded at the wickedness I see going on in the world right now. And it certainly has the the uh, demonic realm, if you will, involved with it using human agents to commit unspeakable acts. And we need to understand that that fight is there and we need to be turning to our Lord. Okay, And we need to put on the whole armor of God. Verse 13, Therefore, because you cannot win this battle in the flesh, brothers and sisters, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the, bre- the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which, which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So let me ask you this. What do you hunger and thirst for in life? Is it our Lord Jesus Christ and his righteousness? Or is it your 
your fame, your position, money, self-pleasure. Which is it? The time is short. You don't know if the Lord is going to give you tomorrow or the next day. We need to be obedient now. We need to be hungering and thirsting for righteousness now. These days are evil. You may not see it, but it's there. I encourage you to seek God and his righteousness above all things. So now, may the Holy Spirit drive you on to hunger and thirst for righteousness. May your desire for the righteousness of Christ grow with each day and your desire for the things of this world diminish to nothing. May Christ fill each of us fully and we be nothing. All glory, all glory to our Creator God who loves us and sent His Son to die for us. Stand firm in the faith, brothers and sisters. Look to heaven. I'll close with 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you have made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen.